0: Welcome, and thanks for listening to the New Life Christian Ministries podcast. If you'd like more information about New Life or for more podcasts and other media, go to newlifexn.org. Happy Mother's Day. Well, you may know this. Mother's Day is not actually a biblical holy day like Pentecost or Passover, but it's actually an American holiday. It started in the 1800s, but not officially. It was sort of celebrated by Americans until uh, 1914. 102 years ago, President Woodrow Wilson established the second Sunday in May as the day we would celebrate Mother's Day. And for those of you who are guests, we welcome you. We're glad you're here today. Um, if you uh, don't ordinarily come, you probably don't know that the pastor usually doesn't look like this. Um, in fact, a lot of people told me I was handsome today. I guess I'm chopped liver the rest of the year. But I do wear I do wear a suit to honor my mother and my wife, Nancy, uh, who is the mother of our two daughters, Abby and Emmy, every Mother's Day. And then last year I added another day. That I uh, wear a suit and that's Father's Day because I realized something, even though my dad was not the shining example of following Jesus that my mother was and that Nancy is, he has shown me a lot in my life of what it means to be a man. So uh, on Father's Day and Mother's Day I wear a suit. Now in our culture in the 21st century I realized that what I just said could be even considered offensive. The fact that I make a distinction between moms and dads, between men and women, when I was growing up, uh, actually, that's all there were, were men and women, you know, moms and dads, boys and girls, that's all there were. But now on Facebook, there are 30-some, almost 40 different gender identities, and and that's the culture in which we live. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to look at how things have progressed and changed and how they have stayed the same. Uh, in certain areas. And so one of the things I want to point out is that back in the 60s, a a very important movement started in America. It was called the American Feminist Movement. And uh, during that time, some very important things happened. Number one was women started to fight for equality of a lot of different things. One was equal pay for equal work. That's a very important equality that that should and and must happen in in any culture. And, And then they also fought for women to be able to do certain jobs that were considered to be men's jobs, um, and they were just as skilled as men in some of those jobs, and so they should be able to do those things. And then one of the things, and we should never have had to need this, but we needed to understand that women are just as important as men. And so the feminist movement from the 60s and on through was designed to bring equality uh, when it comes to men and women. But something happened in the movement, which often happens in historical movements. It went past its original intention and it moved past equality to identity. What what do I mean by that? What I mean is that no longer is the goal for men and women to be equal, but to be considered the same, that there's no difference between men and women. And what we're going to do today is we're going to turn to the Bible, which we as followers of Jesus uh, believe is the word of God. And we're going to see what God established when it comes to this whole thing about men and women and what that has to speak into the culture in which we lived. and, And I think at least as important is into our individual lives. Now, while all this is going on in our culture, back on Easter weekend, we decided to, to do a little uh, poll, if you will. We asked you two questions if you were here, and hundreds of you responded to these two questions, one of which was, if you could ask God one question, what would it be? And the third most commonly asked questions, the groupings, had to do with this matter of marriage and family that we're going to address today. And uh, and specifically, this question came up more than any other marriage and family question, and here it is. How can I help my adult children to come to God or return to God in their lives? What does that tell us? Well, number one, it tells us that you never stop being a parent. If you're a mom or if you're a dad, you don't stop becoming, uh, being a mom or a dad just because your children get 18 or 21 or whatever the age is these days. Um, You continue to care, you continue to love, and you continue to be concerned about your children for the rest of of their lives. And so we're going to address that question today, but we're going to look at a, a much bigger question than that when it comes to marriage and families. We're going to, come, we're going to ask this question and, and what is God's plan for families? And actually, we're going to make that more as a statement than as a question. And, and we're going to look in God's Word. And as Pastor Brad told us last week, if you were here, um, this book, the Bible, is authoritative and, and it contains truth, absolute truth. And if you weren't here, I would encourage you to go to newlifexn.org and watch or listen to that video of that message. It closed out a series that we called The Reason for God. And uh, as, as we go into the Word of God today, we're going to see some very specific, three actually specific passages that deal with men and women, uh, with God, and with children. And it seems appropriate to address those questions on Mother's Day And uh, the take-home point for today, again, if you're a guest and never been here before, our goal is to speak clearly about one truth from the Word of God each week. And so here is this week's take-home point. It rhymes almost. Uh, I'm not really that good at rhyming stuff, but it says this. For life to be grand, we must start with God's plan for woman and man. So for life to be grand... We must start with God's plan for woman and man, and I recognize, we all recognize, that not everybody believes that the Bible is authoritative. Not everybody believes that what the book says here about anything is true, let alone about what it says concerning families and and men and women. Uh, However, we are in a church, and, and here at New Life, we do start with the Bible as the authoritative word of God. And so... I want to quote a man. He's one of my favorite guys, G.K. Chesterton. I didn't know until recently he was a Catholic, but he had so many cool things that he said, and this was one of the most powerful things that he ever said. The Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult and left untried. In other words, people don't come to the Bible and read it and say, oh, that doesn't make any sense. What they do is they read and go, whoa, that is hard. I'm not sure I can do that. I don't, I'm, in fact, I don't think I want to do that. And so, so many times what happens is we just look at the Word of God and we say, this is too hard. I don't think that I can do this. And so, instead of, you know, instead of struggling, instead of working hard, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give up. And I'm going to go with the flow of culture. So, when you hear the three scriptures that I'm about to read, some of you are going to go, wow, that is old-fashioned. And some of you are going to say, what gives you the right to think that you have the authority to tell me what to believe about men and women or about families? And and the honest answer to that is, I don't have any authority. In fact, the only authority there is actually comes from this book, the Bible, the Word of God. And and if it isn't authoritative, then there is no authority, and we can just do whatever we want to do. And, and, and And the reality is, we'll end up wherever that course of events in life leads us. But we took six weeks Six weeks during the series, the reason for God to lay out that it's reasonable, reasonable to believe that there's a God who created everything that exists. We, we took six weeks to, to say that it's reasonable to assume that that God has a son whose name is Jesus, who is actually fully man and fully God, and that during his life he was perfect. And, and when he died, he died in our place. He, he died so that our sins, which is turning against God, could be forgiven and we could have a new life. And, and he rose from the dead, went back to heaven, and sent his spirit, which is very, very necessary. Because all of the things that we talk about in what G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian life isn't hard. It's impossible without the Holy Spirit in our lives. And, and so what, what I'm going to say right now, listen very carefully, is I can't prove, and, and nobody can, um, that God exists or doesn't exist. I, I can't prove that what this book says is true or isn't true. But what I can tell you is it doesn't take a whole lot of faith to believe that it is. It it doesn't take a whole lot of faith because when you put it to the test, and and primarily when you put it to the test through the man Jesus Christ, you find out that the claims that he made occurred. In fact, every claim that Jesus ever made except that he's coming back have come true. And so we must trust put our faith in God in Jesus Christ in order to live our lives in a way that is radically different than what the world says, but it isn't unreasonable to assume that we can do that. So what we're going to do right now is we're going to turn to Genesis chapter 1. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, you want to turn to Genesis 1, 26, and we're going to see that in the very fabric of creation that God created human beings as man and woman. And created us in His image. So let's see what it says. Genesis 1, 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image to be like ourselves. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, and the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and govern it. Rain over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. So in the first 25 verses of Genesis, which we didn't read, um, what happened is God created the universe. And He particularly created a planet called Earth. And on Earth, He put plants and all kinds of animals. And, And that's what happened in the first 25 verses. Then in 26, it turns to human beings. And if you read verse 26 carefully, you find out that there are at least three interesting things in that verse. First, you find out that God calls himself us. Us. So are there more than one God? You know, is it God's, plural? Or is this the first place in the Bible that we hear about the Trinity, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? Or, or is God talking to his angels, his heavenly court? God is gathering all the heavenly court together and say, hey, let's, let's create human beings. Those are interesting questions about what that means, and books have been written about that, and many sermons have been preached about that. But I think the second thing in verse 26, to me, is the most powerful thing. It's what I want to focus on. It says, let us create human beings in our own image. In other words, you and I are created in the image of the God of the universe. Somehow, you and I reflect what that means to to, to live our lives in relationship with God. And so what does it mean? It means hundreds of things that we're created in the image of God. Let's look at three quick ones. Number one, it means we're creative. God is a very creative being. And so we are creative. The second thing it means is that we are built for relationship. God is a relational being in himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfect unity. And yet there's community in that unity. And we were created for relationship, for community. And then it means... Uh, if we're created in the image of God, that we are intelligent beings, that God gave us the ability to reason and to think. It means a lot more than that, but it means at least that, that we're created in the image of God. And then if we move to uh, the last part of verse 26, just verse 26, it, it says why we were created. We were created to reign with God over the planet. Think about that. God created this beautiful planet, He put everything on it, and then he created us. And when he was creating creating us, he said, I want the man and the woman to be fruitful and multiply. I want you to help me reign over this whole earth. Now, if you believe what our culture teaches, that we all just evolved from nothing, then we're just animals like all the other animals, and there's nothing really that special or important about us. But what God says... In, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, is that we are co rulers with him and we are supposed to take charge over the rest of the creatures. So we're not just like the rest of the creatures. We are different in kind because we're like God, not like the creature so much. Then in verse 27, it says that God created us in his image and he created us as male and female. That is significant because what that says to us is that in some way, we do not fully reflect the image of God if there's just a man or if there's just a woman. We need to be together. We need to be in community, and the smallest community is a, is a human couple, right? A man and a woman brought together, and in some way, that in that couple, there is a reflection of the image of God. And you say, well, wait a minute, Chris, why, why couldn't it be two men or why couldn't it be two women You know, why does it have to be a man and a woman? Well, God says in in some way that that's what happens. And and the third thing he says in verse 28 is that we're supposed to be fruitful and multiply. And the only way that has ever worked is between a man and a woman. The the man and woman come together and they have a child. And the child grows up and the child becomes, you know, a man or a woman. And, And the child, as a man or a woman, comes together with another man or woman and it multiplies. And think about that. It was a good plan. It was a perfect plan. Actually, God came up with it. And the perfect plan was that these first two would become, I guess, four, six, eight, I don't know how many. And then, you know, it would just multiply and multiply. And ultimately, all over the planet would be these perfect reflections of his image. But we know that didn't happen. We, we know what happened is, uh, because we're going to skip from Genesis 1 real quick, just for a moment, to Genesis 3. And, and that's where the, the actual first man and woman, Adam and Eve, sinned. They turned against God, and they, they didn't destroy God's plan. They just introduced sin into the world. And what happened then is this perfect model was no longer perfect. But before we get to that, let's go to Genesis chapter 2. That's where we're going to go next. And I I don't know that uh, any of you are like me, but I love the Olympics. And and one of the things I like about the Olympics, I mean, I like the sports and the events and all that, but I like it when they do that up-close-and-personal thing, and they go to an athlete's hometown, you know, and they tell where he grew up and she grew up and why they came into that sport and and how much they sacrificed and all that. Well, Genesis 2... Is sort of the up close and personal version of Genesis 1. Genesis 1 gives us this sort of 35,000 foot above the earth you know, view of creation. But Genesis 2 tells us very personally. In fact, it tells us that God created the man. Very interesting description. It says he took a lump of dirt, he formed it into a man, and then he breathed, his, his spirit breathed into the man. So the man, it says, became a life a bearing soul. So there's a body, there's a spirit, and there's a soul. Soul is the the mind and the emotions and the will. Every human being since Adam has had a a spirit, a body, and a soul because God made it that way. And then the interesting thing is that, that God, after creating the man, says it's not good for the man to be alone. Interesting, because everything God created was perfect, not just good, but perfect. And if you look at Genesis 1, it keeps saying this, God created this and it was good, and he created that and it was good, and all this stuff was good. You know, there wasn't anything, and then God created time, space, matter. It was all good. But then he looks at the man by himself, and he goes, it's not good for the man to be alone. And so he says, I'm going to do something about that. And, and, and it's interesting that as he talks about this, he does something different when he creates the woman. Here's what it says in Genesis 2, 21, if you want to follow along. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, the Lord God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. People always debate, you know, is that really how God created the woman? You know, Did he really create the man that way? But the point is, the man and the woman were created differently. You see, men and women are different. Even in the way we were created, we're different. The man was created from dirt, and the woman was created from, you know, from the man. And so God opens up the man and takes out a piece of him and creates this woman And so, in fact, the the interesting thing is God separates the woman from the man and creates this separate being. But in a few few verses, he's going to say, and now I want you to get back together. Very interesting process that God planned for creation and actually for the creation of families. Because Genesis 1 doesn't tell us anything about families, but Genesis 2 does. Let's move on to what happened when the guy woke up. It says, the man woke up, at last the man exclaimed. This one is bone from my bone, flesh from my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken from the man. The man did not have to have a lesson from God. This is a woman. As soon as he woke up, he went, wow, this is not a chipmunk. This is not a hippopotamus. This is not even a orangutan. I don't know. This is like part of me, but not me. You know, this, better than me, I think, is what he probably said. You know, don't take that, you know, don't take that to extreme women. But I really think if I was Adam, I would go, "Woo!" you know, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, I, 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 it's good now. It wasn't good, but now it's good. So you have this woman, and, 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 and in fact, in the Hebrew it says, she shall be called Isha because she was taken from Ish. And the interesting thing is there's no over, under, all that. It's, it's you know, taken from, they're, they're together. They're separate. They're not, they're not identical. Not identical. But they're so, so amazingly same and different. And that's the thing about women and men. There are parts of us that are the same. There are parts of us that are radically different. And God designed that into the fabric of creation. And then it says this. Now the man in, oh, sorry, says this. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. Interesting. There's no father and mother, right? Adam was created by God from dirt. Eve was created by God from a rib. And so there's no father and mother. God just created them. But it says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother. We can assume a wife will leave her father and mother and and they will become one again. And that's God's plan for families, now, if you've ever had premarital counseling with me, you have heard this little uh, little phrase. Leave, cleave, achieve oneness. Leave, that's where it says man will leave his father and mother, woman will leave her father and mother. Okay, so in marriage, the best thing that ha- happens is you leave home. Okay, and mom and dad sometimes go, ooh, I thought they would never leave home. You know, and, and, and sometimes the, 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 the kid comes back again, you know, like a boomerang. But, but the bottom line is leave. You know, you grow up, girl, guy, you you grow up and you start your own family, you leave. The second thing is cleave. Now, that's an old word. Cleave is from the King James. It means be united. It means actually to be as one, you know, and more or less this way we're talking about in the relationship. You're as one. And so you cleave, and then it says achieve oneness. Now, that oneness is a physical oneness. It's about sexuality, but it's also a spiritual oneness and an emotional oneness. And again, people say, well, why why do you say that two men can't do that or two women can't do that? The U.S. Supreme Court has said it's okay, so why can't you say it's okay? Because I don't get to define things like that. God has already defined it. God defined it in Genesis 1 and 2 before sin entered the world. In the perfect way that God created things, God created the man and the woman. He said that they would grow up, they would leave They would cleave and they would achieve oneness. That was God's plan. And then it says something very interesting. People have asked me, why is this here? Now the man and his wife were both naked, but they felt no shame. So there's the man and the woman. They don't have any clothes and it's okay. Because there's no shame, because there's no sin. And there's an emotional openness. There's a physical openness. There's a spiritual openness in that relationship, that perfect relationship. And it was intended to be that way forever. But that isn't the way... It is anymore. And, and, and as we look around today, all of us have to acknowledge. There is no couple on the planet who is living the way God created us to live. There is no dad on the planet who is being the kind of dad that God created us to be. There's no child who's always obedient. And there's no mom. Even on Mother's Day, there is no mom who's always perfect like the mom in the you know video. And, and we know that we only had like three seconds uh, clips of her life if you had the 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 full version of the movie you know it wouldn't be so perfect because we're not perfect because sin entered into the world and, and yet there is the plan of God and in fact we add into the plan of God from Genesis 1 and 2 something that happened after Jesus came to the earth died on the cross rose from dead went back to heaven the apostle Paul wrote letters to churches and this is what he said he said that uh interesting Colossians chapter 3, I know what it says. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, always obey your parents for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children or they will become discouraged. So let me take a little poll here. Wives, submit means to voluntarily put yourself under the authority of your husband. So how many of you who are wives in the room have always voluntarily submitted yourself to your husband? Raise your hand if you did. Well, at least there's no liars among our women. Okay, so husbands, husbands, it says love your wives and never treat them harshly. Never, okay, husbands, if you're a husband in a room, you know, would you raise your hand if you've never treated your wife harshly ever? Would you please raise your hand? Okay, no liars in men either. Okay, children, children, if you're a child, all of us are children, right? Because we've all had parents since Adam and Eve. I'm, all of us have had parents, right? So if you've ever, ever, ever disobeyed your parents... Would you raise your hand? Come on. Okay, there we go. I wanted somebody to do something here. Okay. And, and then finally, it says, fathers, don't aggravate your children. Okay, dads. Did you ever aggravate your child? If you never aggravated your child, would you raise your hand? Anybody? Never aggravated your child? Unless your child's more than, like, if your child's five days or under, probably true. Um, but after that, not so much, right? Okay, so what we find out is That we look around and we say, we have a standard, God established it, and nobody lives up to it, so why don't we just quit? That's what our culture has done. Our culture has said, God established a standard, nobody lives up to it, so let's just quit. Let's not think about what G.K. Chesterton said, the Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found difficult, and since it's difficult, let's just give up. Here's what I want. I, actually, it's going to be up on the screen because I think it's so important. I've been married for 37 years. I've had a mother. Well, she died whenever you know, 26 years ago, but I had a mother for the first 30-some years of my life, and I've watched my wife be a mother for the, the rest of that. So 59 years of my life, I've watched a mother who, who loved her children. And so I've seen that, and I've seen, you know, imperfectly, I, I've seen what marriage is like. And this is what I know. God's plan for us as moms, dads, and children, as hard as it is, offers us the greatest blessings, the greatest hope, and the greatest fulfillment possible for human beings. And I'm not talking about returning back to the 1950s, you know, when the mom stayed home and cooked the meals and washed the clothes, and when the dad went out to work and the kids were always out, you know, pulling weeds in the garden. It never was like that. You know, I grew up in the 60s and 70s, but since I'm from Gypsy, Pennsylvania, it was really the 50s. It wasn't like that there. But what I am talking about is this. God established in the fabric of creation that a man and woman would leave their father and mother. They would cleave to each other. They would become one. And and out of that union, there would be children. And in that union between a man and woman who loved God with all of their hearts, mind, soul, and strength, there would be children who would grow up in that environment. And they would become whole in, in their lives. And one day they would grow up and they would leave home And they would find, you know, their soulmate, and they would get married, and they would have children, and and as a result, they would be fruitful and multiply, subdue the earth, have dominion over it, and it would be a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful situation. And that's what I'm calling us to return to. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wake up, Chris. It's never gonna be that. Wake up, Chris. Come on. I mean, this is the 21st century. I mean, there's 30 some different gender identities and you can be whatever you feel like being today. That's the reality. And I'm, uh, please listen very, very carefully. That's not the reality. We don't get to define reality. God did. And in fact, I want to read this. I don't usually read from my, my page here, but I want to read this exactly. We don't get to define our own realities. Yes, many millions, even billions of people think that they do. But the truth is, God created us in his own image. He created us male and female. He created us to love our wives if we're men, to submit to our husbands if we're women, to obey our parents if we're children, and to not aggravate our children if we're dads. And all of that and much, much more is possible in a relationship with Jesus Christ and in the power of the Holy Spirit. And while that might sound old-fashioned, it's still the truth. And while it might not be attainable in our own efforts, and it never will be, it is attainable in the power of the Holy Spirit. And the truth is still the truth, even if nobody else (laughs) believes it. The truth is still the truth because God established it. And God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And what we must do, what we have to do, is we have to continue to hold on to the truth As hard as it is, in a culture that is adrift. And here's what I know, and here's what you know, if you're honest. What we both and all of us know is this. The freedom that we claim so adamantly as Americans has not set us free. The freedom that we have claimed so adamantly as Americans has enslaved us. And when we're honest, in our moments of reflection, we realize that. You see, freedom is not an absolute ideal. Freedom must always have limits. We know that. I mean, just drive down the road and try driving on the left side when you come home from church today. You know, it doesn't work so well. Freedom must always have limits. And so what I would like to do today... Uh, as sort of a way to close this message is I would like to to, I'm going to share a prayer with you. I'm going to put it up on the screen, sort of, uh, you know, go line by line. And then if that prayer reflects your heart, I would like us to pray it together. So here here it goes. First, it says, God, free us of independence from you. That's a little play on words there. God, free us because we want freedom as Americans. Right. Free us from our independence from you. Because the next part says, bind us to you and your word that we may experience your truth and love. And that's such a key. You know, if you've come here at least five weeks, you've heard me say, truth and love. Speaking the truth without love is injustice. Reinhold Niebuhr said that back in the 1930s. He's still right. But love without truth its just mush. You know, there, there has to be truth and love. Okay, then it says, we know Jesus came to set us free from sin and death in all its deceptive forms. Deceptive. What's deception? Deception is lies that are wrapped in a little bit of truth so it seems like the truth. The devil is a deceiver. He's the father of lies. And we live in a culture that has just got caught up in deception. And sometimes when we are deceived, we we deceive others. And, and so what we have done is we've said that in our freedom, we are free. And we are, I mean, from a standpoint as Americans, we're free to do whatever we want to that doesn't, you know, break the, the law of the land. But, but we can deceive ourselves right out of relationship with God and right out of relationship with each other and, and right out of life, actually. And so it says, and to give us abundant life here and now and forever. Abundant life. What is abundant life? Abundant life is life that's lived in Jesus Christ. Now what does that mean? It means it's going to be hard sometimes. It's getting harder all the time because whenever I, I say stuff like I'm saying here out there in the world, people say, are, are you crazy? You know, are, 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 you, are you a hater? Are, are, what's wrong with you? And, and, and I, there's lots wrong with me, trust me. There's lots that's wrong with me. Uh, I, I'm far from perfect. But what I know is that the life that Jesus Christ created us to live, the, the life that God created back, you know, way back at the beginning of creation, it's the best life. And, and nobody who's ever tried it has found that it isn't. It, it, it's when we sort of go off on detours and tangents and we, we take a, 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 a pathway away from the truth that we find out that it's no longer a good life. I, I've been starting to listen to a podcast about pastors, mostly, who have stopped believing in God and started going down their own path. And what I've found in, in the few that I've listened to so far is really it's, it's mostly this. You know, I don't like what the Old Testament says, and so I don't believe it anymore. I don't like about how hard it is to, to live a life in, in Jesus Christ, so I'm just going to say he's not God. And, and so, in other words, I've just decided to trade in the real God for me. And we can all do that. We all can do that. Today, we can go out of here and say, I'm going to trade in the real God for me. But abundant life only comes from him. And then the next part says, when it comes to families, we know this means honoring our mothers and fathers, okay, children, all of us are children, upholding our marriage vows if we're married, and living as you have established in Genesis 1 and 2. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may do this. And That's the key. We can't do it. We can't do it without the Holy Spirit. Never will, never could, never can, won't happen. Because if we work in our own effort to do these things and we succeed this much, we become proud and arrogant and self-righteous. But more likely what will happen is we'll find it so hard we can't do it and we'll just give up. But in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can succeed. In the power of the Holy Spirit, we can have a life that, that is what Jesus called it, light and salt. And that's my prayer for all of us today. And if if that's your prayer, I would ask you as we pray that you would pray it with me. God, free us of independence from you. Bind us to you and your word that we may experience your truth and love. We know Jesus came to set us free from sin and death in all its deceptive forms and to give us abundant life here and now and forever. When it comes to families, we know this means honoring our mothers and fathers, upholding our marriage vows, and living as you have established in Genesis 1 and 2. Fill us with your Holy Spirit that we may do this. In Jesus' name, amen. So our commitment for today is I will live according to God's plan for me in my family this week. That means if you're a child and your parents are still alive, that you obey them in the Lord. Why do I say in the Lord? Because I have now met parents who I would not want you to obey in what they tell you to do. Because they're telling you to do things that just are not godly. And so obey your parents in the Lord. If your parents are dead, like mine... Your mom is not around anymore, then you can live a life that will glorify God and reflect the values, if she gave them to you, that she gave you. And if not, forgive her. If your mother wasn't there, if your mother was hard and harsh, if your mother did tell you the wrong things, forgive her. Because the bitterness that comes in our hearts with unforgiveness destroys us. Husbands and wives, and I know there are broken families, there are broken marriages, there are men and women in this room who are hurting and struggling. And and that prayer and this this commitment is not at all intended to make you hurt worse. What's intended to do is to draw us all back to the the word of truth in our lives and, and to let us experience the freedom of the boundaries to our lives. And If we're parents, and and that question, what do we do if our children are no longer following God? Or how can we help them to follow God? I only know two answers because I have two children that aren't following God right now. I pray for them multiple times every day. And I continue to live the life that God has called me to live by His grace and love and truth, hoping that the light and the salt will eventually reignite the light and the salt that's in them. And that might not be a satisfactory answer, but it's the answer. Because we, we can't stop loving our children. We, we can't change the rules because they don't want to live by the rules. If we're followers of Jesus, we just bind truth and love together. And day by day by day, we live that way. And it's always hard. It's always hard. That's the problem with American Christianity. Christianity. People have been told that it's easy. No, the Christian life hasn't been tried and found wanting. It's been found hard, difficult, impossible. And so we try to do it on our own, give up, and we don't let the Holy Spirit lead. So as we go out today, we go out into a world that is messed up. It has been ever since Adam and Eve turned away from God. But God has given us the solution. So let's pray right now once again that God's solution will be sufficient for each of us and all of us together. Almighty God, I do thank you that you have a way for us that's better than any human way. I thank you, God, that you have established what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, what it means to be married, what it means to be a child. And God, my prayer is today that we will live that out in the power of your Holy Spirit. Pour your Spirit into us, God, that we might bring you glory and honor in all that we are and all that we do.